Welcome everyone. So glad that you're here with us this weekend. I was thinking this last week, just how much I love this church. I love that we get to gather from different locations all over the world. I love that we get to gather with central family inside their living rooms on mobile devices. I love that we get individuals who are incarcerated, a part of the central family through our partnership with God Behind Bars. Thank you so much for being with us. I, I love that we get to grow together. We get to worship together. We get to embody this statement, it's okay to not be okay. And all of us are just running after Jesus together, right? Do you love this church as much as I love this church? So incredible. Hope you had a great week. I had a really good week, partly because I got to watch a lot of Olympics this last week. Does anybody else love the Olympics, the Olympic games? So incredible. I love having it on in the background of the house. The second that that Olympic anthem drum gets going, that boom, 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 boom. Like I'm inspired. I'm ready to go. Like, let's do this. Watch these athletes that I get to live vicariously through. They've trained their whole lives for this one moment, this one race, and they are incredible athletes. But I will say, it's hard to know just how incredible they are when they're racing just as incredible athletes from around the world, right? Like when these races come down to just milliseconds separating them, it's hard to know just how incredible each individual is. I saw this social media post going around that I have to agree with that said, I wish every Olympic sport, I wish every Olympic event had just one average person competing so we could have some context on how incredible these Olympians are. Right? Like, just give me that one average guy so I know just how fast, just how strong these Olympic athletes are. James Corden, the host of the, the Late Late Show, he had a similar idea. He wanted to know how fast the fastest man in the world was in context. And so does anybody remember Usain Bolt? Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world. He invited him out to his studio, out to the parking lot of his studio, and he had him do a 100-meter sprint against his friends and his coworkers. I have the video of the race right here. Check this out, just how fast Usain Bolt is. So it starts out, he's automatically in the lead. He looks like he's slightly jogging. He's not even taking this seriously. He's not even in a full sprint, even though everyone else is. Wins by a mile. Here comes James Corden up in the very back. <laughs> oh, but it gives us context, right? Just how fast the fastest man in the world is. But these Olympians, they're incredible. They really are incredible athletes. And this last week, I kind of wanted to research just how they got their start. I kind of did a deep dive into how, Olympic, how Olympians just get going, how, how they get started. What were the first steps that they took? So if you've ever wanted to be an Olympian yourself, today you're in luck because I'm going to give you your first five steps into becoming an Olympian. The very first thing the internet says is that you need to assess your physical fitness. So for many of us, we're already out, right? Like I am not in Olympic shape, so I'm out. Number two, choose your sport. It says many of these athletes have been uh, in their sport since they were in elementary school, since they were in primary school. So it says if you're over the age 30, consider archery, shooting, or curling. You have three things that take no cardio, no endurance. So if anybody wants to start a curling team, I'm in with you. Let's do it. Let's go to the Olympics. Number three, 
prepare for long-term training. They say 1,100 hours a year. If you took no days off, that's three hours a day of training, of working out. That is a lot of preparation. Number four, keep your job. You have to keep an income coming in because you have to pay for coaching, equipment, travel. So three hours a day training, also keep a good job. Good luck with that. And number five, have the dream. I thought this was funny. The very last thing is have the dream. Don't you feel like have the dream should be the very first thing if you're gonna go through all of that. So there you go. You wanna start the path to becoming an Olympic athlete. I've given you your first five steps. But it's a lot of work, right? These athletes have to put in the money, the hours, the training, and ultimately the pain, the changing and the growing in their sport or craft, their growth to the Olympics is a long and it's an extreme process. But growth in general is a process. And today we're going to talk about just that, the good news about growth. But don't stress out. I'm not trying to get you ready to be an Olympic athlete. I'm not going to shame you on your fitness level today. Today, we're going to be in Romans 12. And Romans 12 is where we will conclude this summer series, journeying through Romans, because Romans 12 is a graduation chapter. It's a growth chapter. And to set us up on the big idea of Romans 12, I want to start by looking at Romans 12.1. The verse is going to come up on the screen, and when we get to the red words, say them out loud. Now, every once in a while... I like to throw you a curveball. I like to put the red words right up front just to make sure you're with me. So Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So out of everything we could have focused on in this verse, why do I have and so as the red words? Why are we focusing on and so right now? Well, I think it's important when we're reading the word that we put into context everything the Bible says, every word the Bible says, that we look at the intentionality behind words. I know when I'm reading my Bible, I could quickly just skip over an and so and just get to the rest of the verse, right? So why is this and so here? This and so wouldn't be here for just any reason. This and so is here because it refers to something previously said, right? That's the only reason you would start a sentence with and so. So what's Paul, the author of Romans, referring to? Well, he's referring to the previous 11 chapters he just wrote about. He's referring to all the good news that we've covered over the last several weeks throughout this good news series. The good news about Jesus the good news about life change, the good news about faith and joy and freedom, the good news about our future, the good news about God's love. And last week, Lori Wilhite brought an incredible message about the good news about redemption. And this whole series has been about how God's grace changes everything. And if you missed any of that good news, you can go on our app, you can go on our YouTube channel, you can watch all of them on demand. But Paul says, and so... Based on all that good news God's given us, when you take everything into account that I've written to you in the previous 11 chapters, he's saying, church, I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you. I'm begging you. Out of all the things we've covered, you should be graduating to a new level now. Present your life to God, the one who can change your life. Yes. Here's what I don't believe. I don't believe that when it comes to Jesus that any of us just like standing still. We like doing nothing. We have a desire to grow, right? We want to grow. But here's the deal. To grow, 
we have to be willing to change. Because you can't grow without change. Now you can change without growing, but you can't grow without changing. It's all about moving forward. It's all about growing. So how do we do that? How do we grow into the person that God made each of us to be? Well, you start by letting him change your mind. Change your mind. One of the not so fun parts of my summer that I got to deal with was my landscaping. And just to give you a little journey on my landscaping, a little background, the previous home that we came from had a lot of high maintenance landscaping. And what do I mean by that? It had a lot of bushes and trees that were made more for a tropical environment. It had real grass, not this fake turf stuff. It took a lot of fertilizer. It took a lot of watering to keep it alive. In fact, this whole yard took a lot of water to keep alive here in the desert. In fact, my water bill was just always out the roof, just trying to keep these plants alive. So when we got an opportunity to move into a different home and we got the opportunity to choose the landscaping for this home, I said, I want low maintenance. I don't want to bring this high maintenance landscaping over to the next house. I want low maintenance. I want easy. I want a lower water bill. I don't want to be paying this high water bill anymore. So that's what we did. We talked to families and family and friends and everybody suggested you go with desert landscaping. Just go with desert landscaping. It makes sense. You live in the desert, get uh, plants that are native to that area. It'll be lower maintenance. Well, our front yard doesn't have a whole lot of opportunity for different plants. It's a lot of concrete sidewalk. There's not a whole lot of plant opportunity, but there's this one spot. There's this focal point that just was right for the perfect cactus. Like if you just picked out the perfect thing to go right in that focal point, just a strong, tall, beautiful cactus, it would just make the front yard look great. So Laura and I, we went cactus hunting. We wanted something strong, something beautiful, hopefully something not a whole lot of money. And we could put it right there in the front yard. And the idea was that it would be low maintenance. Well, we bought, we went out, we found it. The perfect cactus got it home. I didn't plant it myself because I don't have a green thumb and I wanted this thing to outlive me. So I called a, a buddy over that's a landscaper. And I just said, I need your help getting this planted. He helped me plant, helped me get the soil all right, helped me get the sprinkler timer adjusted, and off he went. Well, two months go by, and this plant, this cactus, does not look like it did on day one. It is starting to look weaker. It's starting to look a little feeble. So I'm I'm like, well, based on my last yard, I just need to give it a little bit more water than it's currently giving. So every single day, or not every day, two times a week, I went out and just gave it a little bit more water. I hand-watered this cactus. Well, Couple months go by, it's starting to look worse. So I call my landscaper buddy up. I said, you need to come over here. I need some help. This thing is not looking great. I need your help fixing the direction this cactus is going. He came over, he's like, I think you have a watering problem. I'm like, that's what I thought. So he went to the the sprinkler box, he made some adjustments and off he went. Well, I'm thinking we have a watering problem. I'm gonna increase my hand watering to three or four times a week. We're just gonna pick this up a little bit. Couple months go by, same drill, still looking bad. I call him up, he comes over, still a watering problem. Make some adjustments. I pick up my hand watering to once a day at this point because this thing is not low maintenance. It's taking a lot of water. This is a thirsty cactus. Couple months go by, we're now into the winter and this thing isn't looking great at all. I call my landscaper buddy up, he comes over. Apparently cactus don't like the desert winters. They don't like the cold. So you have to wrap it in a blanket when it gets cold. Are you kidding? Low maintenance and I have to give this cactus a blanket in the winter. This is not the idea we had in mind. Oh, and we still have 
a watering problem. So he made some adjustments, he left. I picked up my hand watering to two times a day, once in the morning, once at night, thinking I'm gonna help save this cactus. Spring comes along, this cactus is dead. Like it is awful, it looks awful, it's making the front yard look awful. I finally concede, I call up my landscaper buddy, I'm like, you gotta come over, we gotta switch this thing out. We gotta dig this one up, we gotta put a new cactus in. And he comes over, he's standing on the front driveway with me and we're looking at this cactus and he's like, I just don't get it. I'm like, you don't get what? He's like, the last time I was here, I shut the water completely off to this thing and it's still getting too much water. Wait. It's too much water. I was the one unknowingly responsible for slowly killing this cactus. I was trying to take the growth, the health, the future of this plant into my own hands. I wasn't relying on the much more qualified landscaper to be the caretaker. And I ended up killing it. Well, Romans 1 and 2, it gives us similar advice when it comes to who we put in charge of our change. A similar warning when it comes to growth in our own lives. Let's pull back up Romans 12.1 and this time let's look at it with Romans 12.2. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul gives us such incredible insight into growth and change in these two verses. In fact, he gives us three big ideas that we can take away here when it comes to change. The very first thing he says is give your bodies. Give your bodies to God. That's to say this is a personal thing. Change is personal. How is it personal? Not because we do the changing Because God does the changing. But what's the personal part? We give our bodies to him to do the changing. The next thing he says is it's a process by changing the way you think. I want you to notice that Paul didn't say let him change the way you think. He said changing the way you think. Other translations say the renewing of your mind. It's a process. You don't all of a sudden just arrive at a brand new way to think. Just because you name Jesus your Lord and Savior doesn't mean you all of a sudden arrive at a new level of spiritual maturity. It is a process. And the last thing he says is that it's possible. It is possible. You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It is possible for you to know God's will for your life, which, by the way, is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. So the big idea we have to understand from these verses is that change is personal. It's a process, but it's possible. And here's how it looks when applying these verses to our own lives, to our own growth. First, it's personal, not because you're doing the changing, like I just said, but because you're allowing God to do the change. Paul is saying, don't let the world mold you into itself. Don't let it suck you in and make you who it wants you to be. Allow God to do the changing. Give him your growth, your transformation, your change. Give it to the one who is the perfect caretaker, the expert. God can transform you, but you have to be the one to present yourself to him. It's a personal decision. Next is a process. Change takes place in your mind. Your mind and your heart, they're so connected, aren't they? In fact, they're so connected that sometimes the Bible will use the word mind 
And it will use the word heart to mean the exact same thing. Proverbs 23 gives us an example of this. It says, as a man thinks in his heart. As a man thinks in his heart. If we want change to happen in our lives, we have to saturate our minds with his word. It's the reason we don't just go to the Bible when we're struggling. We don't just dive into the word when we're going through a hard time. No, we're to dive into his word daily so that we continue to renew or to change our mind. Another way we can saturate, saturate ourselves in the word is to gather together weekly. We gather for worship. We gather for teaching. It's one of the big reasons every single week we say, keep showing up. Just keep showing up. We gather together weekly to encourage one another and to saturate our minds on a message of hope. It's all a part of how we renew our thinking together, how we renew our minds. We saturate ourselves in God's word. And then lastly, this verse is telling us that change is possible and his will for our lives is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. I think sometimes we think God is withholding the things that we want, right? If I'm single, he probably just always wants me to remain single. He just wants me focused on him. He doesn't care that my desire is for love and for that other person in my life. He just wants me focused on him. He wants me to remain single. Or I'm stuck in this boring job. God just wants me to be, me to be miserable. This is my punishment. I'm going to always hate my job. I'm never going to have other opportunities because God doesn't want me to have them. He's punishing me. No, God knows the desires of your heart and he wants to fulfill those desires for you. He doesn't want you to be unhappy. He doesn't want you to be unfulfilled. He wants you to live a life of joy, of happiness, of fulfillment. So many times we wonder, like, what's God's will in my life, right? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What's God's will? How do I know what God wants for me? How do I know the right answer? Well, we have it right here in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We present ourselves to God, allowing him to do the changing. We recognize it's a process, and the process starts by renewing our mind. We need to saturate ourselves in the word and keep gathering together weekly, and it's in that where he will reveal to us where we will know his good, his perfect will for our lives. Church, I can speak firsthand that the heart of Pastor Judd, the heart of this staff team, the heart of the volunteer team here at Central, is they want you to know that this place, this church, this should be the number one place you hear that change is possible. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter how life's gotten a hold of you, it doesn't matter how too far gone you think you are. This should be the number one place that produces hope inside of you that you can change. Right? Why? Because we're teaching from here. And that's the whole message here. That's why we keep showing up. We keep renewing our minds together, pushing each other, encouraging each other towards growth and change. And we celebrate together the story of God's good and perfect will unfolding in our lives. In fact, you don't want to miss this next weekend. Pastor Judd's going to be back and he's going to be preaching and kicking off a brand new series called We Are Family. Just show up for that. Get back here next weekend. And then guess what? Show up the weekend after that. And then show up the weekend after that. We keep showing up together, leaving our past in the past and focusing together on God's future for us. Right? 
I'm going to give you the, the secret to growth and change. And this is actually was Socrates' secret to growth and change. Here it is, the secret to change. Focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. If you want to change, don't put your energy on fighting the old. Put your energy on building the new. And how do we build the new? We let him do the changing. We give our lives fully to him. We don't get too hard on ourselves. We realize it's a process, but we stay hopeful that in him, change is possible. So present your life to God, the one who can change your life, which leads us to the next way to help us grow, and that's to use your change. Use your change. After Paul gives us the way that God can start transforming us in verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12, he starts to give us the way God can start using us in verses 4, 5, and 6. Check out what these verses tell us. It says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. And we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Basically, what Paul's saying, what he's implying is that church, this church, this community of faith, it's like a human body. And just like the body has eyes, it has ears, it has fingers, and all the parts each have their own jobs, they also all work together. He's saying the church is just like that. We all have different talents. We all have different abilities that God has given us. He has uniquely given each of us spiritual gifts. Some of us would form the function of an eye. Some of us would form the function of a hand or a foot. But each one of us in this body has our role in furthering his kingdom. And the body cannot not function well without all of its working parts. Another analogy I like to use is I have this toolbox with me on stage. And if you know anything about tools and toolboxes, a toolbox is, toolbox is only as effective as the tools that you have in it. Because every job, whether big or small, comes down to using the right tool. For examples of some tools I have in this toolbox, which I keep in my office as a metaphor, an example for these exact verses right here. One example is I have a hammer. I have a level here. I have a screwdriver. Now, if you wanted to unscrew something, you wouldn't reach for the hammer, right? No, you would reach for the screwdriver. The hammer has its specific function that it was created for. The screwdriver has it. The screwdriver's made to unscrew things. The hammer's made to hammer. If you were going to hammer something, you wouldn't grab the level, would you? To hammer it? Well, this could be a bad example because maybe actually you would. Have you ever gone to hammer something? You already have that nail in place, the right spot. The hammer's either too far or you're too lazy to go get the hammer. So you just use a water bottle, a book, a level, whatever it is. Well, so we all know though that a level is at its best when it's leveling things, when it's being used for its specific function and so on for each one of the tools in this toolbox. So if we want to be used specifically for the reason that we were created for, we, we use our abilities that we were created for, right? Each one of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, we have spiritual gifts. God's given to you, them to you. This is good news. You have gifts and abilities. You are a tool in the carpenter's toolbox. And he wants to use you. You weren't deemed unworthy. You weren't left out. You have God-given gifts. 
You have God-given abilities. And here's the deal. The only way this church will ever reach its full potential, it will ever reach its full potential, is if you use your unique gifts and talents. You use them in your life. You use them in your job. You use them in your family. And you use them in this church. There are things that you can do that us hammers just cannot do. There are things that you can do that those of us who are screwdrivers, we can't do. God has specifically gifted you, you to serve a purpose furthering his kingdom. And as we all use our talents, God's glorified and amazing things can happen. It's how we grow. I also think it's important to realize and remember that imperfect people use their change. Oftentimes, I think after... uh, we hear that we can use our gifts, we can use our abilities. We often have the thought, you know, when I get my life together, then I'll use my change. Once I get perfect, then I'll be ready for God to use you, to, for God to use me. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the case. That's simply not the case. God is ready to use you right now. You look through the Bible and God uses imperfect, broken, hurting people all throughout the pages of the Bible. And they do some pretty incredible things. This pastor uh, wrote this piece on some of the characters of the Bible and their perceived flaws. And you might not recognize all the names, but you'll at least get the point. He said, Moses stuttered and struggled with anger. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Solomon was too rich and Abraham was too old. David was too young. Timothy had ulcers. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas, they both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burnt out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. And Martha was a worrywart. God has used and will always use imperfect people. Because guess what? There is no such thing as a perfect person. So disqualifying yourself because you think you're not ready to be used, that's not God. God's not whispering that. That's the enemy. The enemy says you're not worthy. Jesus says, so what? I am. I am worthy and I have them covered. Growth is being used by God regardless of where you find yourself right now. He can use you as you are in your brokenness, in your messed up situation. He can use you to make make an impact on other people. Do you know the greatest lesson that we can learn when it comes to our unique gifting in the body of Christ? How we're used in the church body? It's that it's not really about us at all. It's about God. And if you really believe that, then you realize that it's not about us in the sense that it's not about how talented we are. It's not about how good we are or how perfect we may feel or not feel. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about those around us that don't know him yet. Our responsibility is to leverage our gifts for God's glory, to make a difference in other people's lives for his glory. That's how we grow. If you feel God putting on your heart that you want to be used to serve others through this church, If you feel God tugging at your heart right now, that's the Holy Spirit trying to get a hold of you saying, use your change. And don't miss this. Don't miss this opportunity. In fact, we want to give you an opportunity to jump in and be able to serve here at Central. And we made it really easy this week. All you got to do at some point throughout your week, today, whenever, just go to central.family. 
This is for those at live locations. This is for those online. There's lots of ways you can be used. Just go to central.family and hit the quick link, volunteer with us. And right there, you can sign up and start being used. Start using your change right here in this, in this church to serve others, to make it about him and make it about them. We are given amazing opportunities in our life. But if we don't act, they're only wasted lessons. We're given amazing opportunities, but the problem is often we don't act. So they're only wasted lessons. We're to act, we're to use our change. We present our lives to God because he can change our life. And then we are to use that change to serve him and to serve them. To conclude today, I want to read an article I ran across this last week when I was doing my Olympic deep dive of an Olympic athlete named Yusra Mardini. Yusra grew up in Damascus, Syria, where she learned to swim. Her father was on the national swim team where Yusra had a passion and a dream to follow in his footsteps. While she was competing in local swim competitions, a civil war broke out in Syria. Yusra continued to practice for competitions, but it became more and more difficult to get ready due to the constant fighting that was going on all around her. Her family's home was destroyed. Her father was arrested and beaten. But the breaking point was when an unexploded shell fell into a nearby pool. She knew it was time to go. In August 2015, Yusra and her sister Sarah, they left the country and fled through Turkey. Outside of Turkey, they boarded an overcrowded small boat bound for Greece's Aegean Islands in hopes of achieving asylum. Then during the trip, the motor of that boat suddenly cut out. The small boat started to sink. Facing certain death, both sisters jumped out and pushed the boat toward shore for three hours. It says due to their quick thinking and useless swimming training, 20 people survived and were able to find new life in Europe. They saved 20 people. And even through all that trauma, all that suffering that, that Yusra went through, she did not give up on her dream of becoming an Olympic swimmer. Last week, she competed in her second Olympic Games on the refugee Olympic team. She made it to the Olympics. That's amazing. But here's the thing. Yusra will probably never be known for her gold medals at the Olympics. She will probably never be known for being the world's fastest swimmer. The gold medals, they're, they're not her purpose because she had a bigger purpose. Her will to never give up, her hours of training, her dreams, her gifts, her talents can all be summed up in a moment when her talent was more about others than it was about herself. Her purpose was to rescue. Our purpose can be to rescue. Growth is about going from a mindset of what's in it for me to one of how do I help them? It's time to graduate, church. It's time to take it to the next level. How do we start growing? Earlier, I gave you the first five steps to becoming an Olympic athlete. Let's look at the first five steps and how we can grow. First, we assess our spiritual gifting. Assess your spiritual gifting. How has God uniquely gifted you? What gifts and talents has he given you specifically? Next, choose to let him renew your mind. It's personal, not because we do the changing, but because we give our lives to him to do the changing. 
Prepare yourself that it's a process. You don't all of a sudden arrive at a new way to think. Be easy on yourself. Changing and growing is a process. But keep your hope that he has the best for you. And his will is perfect and good and pleasing. And it is possible for you to know that will. And then lastly, have a rescue mindset. It's about him and it's about them. It's not about us. It's not about us. Isaac Newton said it best in his first law of motion. He said, everything continues in a state of rest until it's compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Everything continues in a state of rest until it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Let me ask you, what's impressing upon you? Is it the world? There's a lot that can be impressing upon us, right? Addictions, struggling marriages, broken relationships, depression, hurt, bad habits, hangups. The world will try to impress itself upon us and squeeze everything out of us, but we don't have to let it. We can let God impress his perfect will upon us to shape us, to grow us, and not only grow us, but to use us. If we want to see God's will, his perfect will played out in our lives, it's right here. It's right there. Present your life to God, the one who can change your life. And for some today, you're ready to start growing in Jesus. You're ready to start having him change your life. You're ready to start the process by giving your life to him, by naming him your Lord and Savior. Maybe you never had this opportunity before. Maybe you've resisted this opportunity in the past, but right now you're ready to say, God, I'm ready for you to start changing my life. Or maybe you're ready to rededicate your life to him right now. If you're ready for God to start doing the changing in your life, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to right now. So if everyone would bow their heads, close their eyes, and all you have to do is just say this prayer after me. Just say, God, I love you. I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you sent Jesus into this world to forgive me of those sins. He died a death on that cross he didn't deserve for me. But he rose from that grave. And now I want to ask forgiveness of those sins. I want to name you, Jesus, my personal Lord and Savior. Come into my life and start transforming my life. And church, I want to ask you if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you just named Jesus your Lord and Savior, or you rededicated your life to him, would you just slip your hand in the air, just saying before me, making it all the more real to yourself that you're going to start living for him, that you named him your personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Thank you for that bravery, just slipping your hand in the air, just naming this moment before him. God, I thank you for these hands. I ask that you just pour out your love on their lives, Father, showing them that change is possible through you. And you do that for everyone in the room, everyone online right now, Father, that's hearing this message, that you just pour out your love on them, Father. We're so thankful that we don't have to do the changing, that you do the changing for us. Transform our lives and let us use our change to make a difference in your kingdom. We give it all to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, church family, let's give it up for those that made decisions today, for those that recommitted their life to Christ.
Hey, if that's you, we want to let you know that here at Central, we have a tool just to help you get started. It partners with the Bible, and it's a, it's a guide, a how-to-follow-Jesus guide. All you have to do to access it, it's free. It's just go to central.family, hit the quick link, I've decided to follow Jesus.